Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Let's get into it and uh, let's get the juice flowing and uh, we'll start to share what's on God's heart. Father, I just thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you love us enough to speak to us. And tonight you want to speak to us even more than we want to hear from you. And uh, I, I just pray, Lord, that you would speak. Jesus, that you would come and be the prophet, that you would come and be the teacher, that you would come, Lord God, and uh, move some stuff out of the way that's blocking us from a more intimate, deeper, and closer relationship with you. And I just pray, Lord, tonight our hearts would be open, our hearts would be responsive, and that, God, as you feed us, we would eat of whatever it is that you're giving to us, and, God, that it would do us good, and it would build our faith, and, uh, Lord, it would help us change our world. God, we commit this church, this service, this night to you. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, say amen. Amen. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 16, verse 33. John 16, 33, and I'm just going to read one verse to you, and uh, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he says in verse 33, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I've said these things to you, Jesus said, that in me... Not in your circumstance, not in your trial, not in your success, not in what's happening around you that you may have peace, but in me and my presence, you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have tribulations, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And tonight, what I want to speak to you about, what God has put on my heart, is this idea of how to survive a trial. How do you survive a tribulation? And I learned this more than ever, um, I've learned it all my life, but particularly this year. Um, at the beginning of each year, uh, God gives me a word. And it's uh, generally a prophetic word for uh, the coming year. And, and I've got to tell you, 99% of the time, it's encouraging. It's full of hope. It's full of expectation. It fills me with faith for what is to come. And generally, I'm pumped up and excited about the word that God's given me for the coming year. But at the beginning of this year, God spoke to me and said, Son, your heart will break this year. And I'm thinking, gee, God, thanks for the encouragement. I just feel so exhorted and so built up with that word. I'm just so looking forward to having my heart broken this year. What on earth does that mean? What is that about? Well, when I got to Saturday, May 7th of this, of this year at uh, 12 past four in the afternoon at Knox Private ICU, and as I watched my mum breathe her last breath and at 59 years of age go from this life to the next, I all of a sudden realised what God meant when he said to me, son, your heart will break this year. 
And all of a sudden in that moment, there was so much stuff going on, not to indulge, but to add context. Um, My sister was incarcerated at that point in time. And my dad is now raising his six-year-old granddaughter as as a widower. And uh, I was supposed to be in two different countries and three or four different cities over that time speaking. And our whole family got sick during this season. And right about there, I was like, Jesus, any time you want to come back to earth and rapture us all, this would be a great time. I'd just love you to just come back and just take us home because I've had just about enough of all of this. And I realized in that moment, you know what? You don't have to be prophetic to work out that trials and tribulations are coming your way in life. I mean, it doesn't take Sherlock or a brain scientist to work out that actually there's going to be some tests, there's going to be some challenges, there's going to be some difficult things that come our way in life. Why? Because trials are a normal part of existence on planet Earth. It's just part and parcel of living and breathing. And I'm simply amazed as I've been in ministry several years now and counseled and coached and mentored and discipled people all over the planet. And you're sort of like, they tell you your story and you're sort of like, I'm amazed at the trials that people go through what they experience, the pain and the suffering and the stuff that they face. And sometimes as believers, we think we should be exempt from trials and tribulations. I mean, I, I gave into the offering this week and it was we even, Pastor Ben, it was with the right motive. I mean, I, I, I gave, not like, you know, that, that his kids to, to keep it back for myself. I, I gave because I genuinely wanted to bless the church and, and I wanted to give and honour God with my wealth. And, and, and I was kind this week and I smiled to people as I passed by them on the street and, 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 and I try and, uh, uh, you know, serve in the church and I even won volunteer of the month award and 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 I've done all these amazing good things surely I could be exempt from suffering and trials and tribulations because I've performed for you God and you are obligated to now perform for me does anyone know what I'm talking about and we forget Acts 14 22 It's through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't see that memory verse pasted on many people's fridges when I walk into their house and hang out and have dinner with them. Generally, the memory verse that's pasted on their fridge is, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and plans to give you a future. And it's true and it's right and it's in the Word of God and you can stand on it and live by it. But it's also true that it's through some trial, it's through some tribulation, it's through some tests that we enter into the purposes of God. And you've got to get... Get settled in your heart with the tension of those two realities. That, that the theologians call it a dialectic, where on the one hand, you've got free will. On the other hand, you've got the sovereignty of God. On the one hand, you've got provision for blessing and prosperity and all these things in the Scripture, uh, if you're a good steward. On the other hand, you've also got that God's saying, trials and tribulations are coming your way. It's the tensions within the text. And sometimes as believers, we get discouraged, we get disillusioned because we err on one side of the text of the promise, forgetting that there is another side of the promise that we're going to find ourselves in at some point in our lives. 
We're almost surprised when we find ourselves in the middle of a trial, as if like God is punishing us. And I just want to deal with, I, I guess, a, a, th- a line of thought or a, a, a thinking that's erroneous uh, for some believers is that it's sort of like, God, you are the author of pain and suffering in my life. And I've got to tell you, a lot of people blame God for a lot of stuff that he is not the author of. God is not an abusive father that inflicts punishment upon you, pain and suffering upon you. Sometimes in his sovereignty, he allows certain things not to hurt us, but to actually help grow us and bring us somewhere that we can't see right now when we're facing the trial and the tribulation. We should not be surprised when we face trials in our lives. The Bible tells us in James, should I say 1 Peter 4, 20, Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Now I've got to say to you, the last thing I want to do when I'm going through a trial is to, you know, crack open the bubbly and have a party. I, I don't necessarily want to rejoice when I'm going through a test. I want to complain. Is there any unholy, unspiritual people in the room just like this pastor who wants to complain sometimes? I want to have a pity party. I want to have a whinge. I want the sympathy vote. I've got the man flu. I want to be looked after. And, and, and it's only a little germ, but I'm about to die. And, and I, I, want, I want that sort of attention to make me feel better about myself, what I'm going through. But James said in James 1 and 2, count it all joy. I don't like that, but he's calling me to respond in a way that's irrational to my human will, my flesh. It can only be something that is uh, capable in the spirit. Count it all joy. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, listen to this, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I don't know if you've seen the movie Jerry Maguire. If you haven't, I'm about to spoil it for you. But Jerry Maguire is a story of Tom Cruise as a sports uh, marketing agent. He's got various athletes with him. And uh, he starts his own company with this idealistic sort of notion of what a sports company should look like, a sports management company. And he goes and he's only got one athlete left. And he, he marries his work associate. And things aren't going too well in the marriage. And the movie goes goes all the way through and at the end of the movie he comes back do you remember the scene all the ladies remember the scene he comes back from a road trip and there's tensions between him and his new wife things aren't looking too good and things aren't looking like they've got a future in their marriage and she has all of her friends over in a pity party helping her feel good about the potential decision she's about to make to walk away from the marriage and Tom bursts in the room and when he bursts in the room, the, the, the scene goes silent and he looks at his wife with all of her friends there and says, you complete me. And all the ladies in the cinema are like, oh, Tom. And all the guys are like, oh, throw up. And, and, and we're all there in that moment. And, and, and those words that have ruined men in their relationships for the rest of their lives, because every woman wants to hear their men say, you complete me. And, and, and it's actually, it's a recipe for disaster in a relationship, right? 
But the next time you are in a trial and a test and a tribulation, look at it lovingly and say, you complete me. Because according to James, it's your trials that are bringing you to a point of perfection, not to a point of destruction. And if you can begin to see God's perspective on your trials, on the contradictions and the paradoxes of life, then your trial won't overcome you and take victory over you, but you will find victory in the midst of the trial. So important. Now, we do all we can to avoid trials and for good reason. I don't know anyone that's in this room tonight that's going to go home after this service and pray and fast for trials in their life and just believe in God that they're going to have a week of weeping and gnashing of teeth because this is just what God has called us, the life he's called us to live. We do all we can. I would encourage you to not make foolish decisions, to actually avoid the consequences of certain foolish decisions and not position yourself for trials and tribulations. But there are two reasons why they're coming your way. The first reason why trials come in your way is because we live in a fallen world. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that creation itself groans under the weight of the corruption of sin awaiting redemption. You've got to understand when we look at the TV, when we see famine, when we see all sorts of earthquakes, all sorts of uh, climate change, all sorts of things going on on the planet, that we are seeing the effects of the brokenness, of, of the sinfulness that has affected even the planet itself. We live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, bad stuff does happen to good people. Bad stuff does happen to bad people. Bad stuff happens to everyone. We live in a fallen world. A second reason why a trial is coming your way is because Jesus said so. And he said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall remain forever. In other words, what Jesus says is going to become a reality. And so if trials are the norm for this life, if this is the climate of the current age that we find ourselves in, how are we to respond to them? How are we to deal with them? Well, what I want to share with you is a few thoughts and insights into how I am dealing with and handling uh, the survival of the trial of the season that I've been through and that I'm finding myself in. Firstly, don't put a full stop where God has simply put a comma. Don't put a full stop where God has simply put a comma. When you go through a trial, the devil wants you to believe it's over, faith in God doesn't work. This Bible reading thing, you may as well just close that book and stop reading, it's not working for you. That giving and tithing and honouring God with your wealth, well, you haven't seen a breakthrough in that for five minutes, so it doesn't work. And it's amazing, we as believers, we try, thing, you know, we try witnessing one time, we get rejected, we're like, never witnessing again. We, try, we give one time and it doesn't work, we don't see the harvest and return, never doing that again. And we are so quick to draw conclusions about things that we try one time, and, and, and that's why... There's this theme in the Bible called perseverance, endurance, 
And sometimes just because you try it once, just because you witness once doesn't mean it's always going to work. But we keep witnessing and we keep evangelizing and we keep giving and we keep praying and we keep worshiping, not to earn something, not because we have to, but because it's good for us. We get the privilege of being a part of this kingdom. And often what we do is we buy into the lie of the enemy that says this thing isn't working. God has put a full stop. You may as well check out, except the story isn't finished yet. God is only mid-sentence. He's having a conversation with you. He's having a conversation with planet Earth. And we put a full stop where God's like, I'm just pausing in the sentence. There's still a sentence that I am going to finish. You see, many of us stop at, in this world, you'll have tribulation. We stop there. We put a full stop there. And we get down on ourselves. We get disheartened. But God continues the sentence. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, Jesus wouldn't have said, take heart, if there wasn't something to take heart in. If there was nothing to take heart in, why would he say it? But he's saying, in the midst of the tribulation, you can take heart. What does that phrase, take heart, actually mean? Well, it means to be courageous. It means to be at peace and rest. It means to be filled with joy. Now, I don't know about you, but courage, peace, and joy aren't rational responses to trial and tribulations. I mean, my flesh doesn't automatically respond with courage, peace, and joy when I'm facing trials and tribulations. My flesh generally responds in panic, and my wife has to calm me down. And so um, what you've got to understand is you are incapable in your own flesh to respond with take heart, courage, peace and joy in the moment of the trial and tribulation. But that is why we have the person of the Holy Spirit, our helper, our empowerer, our sanctifier, the one who works into us, the character qualities and fruits of the Holy Spirit. How do you develop the character quality of love? You find yourself with a person that's difficult to love. How do you grow the character, quality, the fruit of the Spirit of patience? You find yourself stuck in traffic jams all your life and you learn patience. Be careful what you ask God for. He will give you the opposite to help you develop the character quality you're asking Him for. And so we were like, we God, we want love. We just want to love people. I just want to love people. And then everyone who comes into your life that, that week is difficult to love. They're a pain in the backside. They're a thorn in the flesh. And you're like, God, I thought you were going to help me to love. And he's like, I'm trying. I am. I'm putting them in front of you. Love them. It's easy to love your, your friend or your, your partner or your girlfriend, your boyfriend. It's easy to love a great pastor like Ben. It's easy to love a great church like this. What's difficult is when God puts you in contradictory environments environments and you've actually got to respond with the very thing that you want but will only be worked into you it cannot come to you by osmosis with a pastor laying his hand on your head it actually has to come through the firestorm of contradiction I tell you if you can get this this will set you free in your life and in your ministry so take heart you've got to come to a point of being convinced you can take heart because God has already done all of the heavy lifting on your behalf 
What am I talking about? When Jesus uttered those words before he died, it is finished. He said, it's done. It's complete. I've done everything that is necessary for you to walk into your eternal victory. Jesus has already done all of the heavy lifting. Jesus lived, he died, and three days later, he rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death. That's what the Bible tells us. Now, you've got to understand something. For you as a believer, sin no longer has authority over your life. There may be some wrestle with your flesh. There may be some wrestle with some habits and addictions. But that addiction, that habit, that sin has not got ultimate authority over your life. Because Jesus has already done everything. He's paid the price. He's stood in your place. He's become the substitute. He's taken on the penalty of death in himself. He's taken on your sin, my sin, all of our sin upon himself and taken it to the grave and rose again, conquering it. So if you are living in a place where you just say, I just can't conquer that sin. I just can't overcome that thought. I just can't deal with that habit or that addiction. The devil is a liar. That sin no longer has authority in your life. Stop excusing yourself from something that God has given you the keys to the kingdom for. Not only that, but Satan. Hear that big boogeyman himself that, that we often are intimidated by. That person known as Lucifer, our adversary, the personification of evil. He himself has no authority over your life. When you got saved and responded to the grace of God, confessed your sin, believed in the Lordship of Jesus and that God raised Jesus from the dead, you passed from death to life. You passed from darkness to light. You stepped into a zone where you are now filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Satan himself has no authority over you. Greater is he who's in me than he that's in the spirit of this world. Not only that, it gets better. Death has no authority over you. And I can say that as someone who preached my mother's funeral and saw right there in that moment, my mum was in that casket, yes. But the Bible says, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Your death has been swallowed up in the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, there is a sting when I looked at that casket, but it is not an eternal sting because now she is in the presence of the Lord Jesus himself, Partying, hanging out while we're all around here, wandering around like headless chicken, trying to make life work. She's having a grand old time, saying amen, Jesus Tourette's I call it, and, and hallelujah, praise the Lord, going nuts, right? And, and, and it's awesome. Anyone who knows my mum knows what I'm talking about. And, and, and so, you know, but, but you've got to understand, death itself has no authority on your life. Yes, we will die in this tent, in this body, but our spirit passes into eternity. You know, I hear some believers, particularly who've been burnt by some trials and tribulations, they get cynical and they criticize victorious Christian living, particularly teaching on victorious Christian living. And I go, okay, what's the alternative? Miserable Christian living. How many people are lining up for that? It's just like, you know, let's consider the alternative. 
If we're not going to teach on Victoria. And, and, and by the way, I'm not the one. It's not me. In John said in 1 John 5, 4 and 5, everyone who has been born of God, if you believe in Jesus, you've been born again. You've been born of God. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Don't put a full stop where God has simply put a comma. How do you survive a trial? I got up early in the morning when I didn't feel like it and I worshipped Jesus when it didn't make sense. I didn't want to. I was not interested in lifting up my hands and honouring Him in that moment when my heart was pulling me down. But I was... I was compelled to. I was inspired by the example of Hannah, 1 Samuel chapter 1. It says Hannah being barren, wanting a child, calling out to God, but not receiving the promise in the time frame she expected. She got up early and worshipped God, crying out this. This is so important. You've got to catch this. Crying out, O Lord Almighty. Now, what's the significance of that phrase, O Lord Almighty? So important you understand this because it'll change your approach to trials and tribulations from this point. When we speak of the Lordship of Jesus, we are speaking about the sovereignty of God. That He is Lord over all of the affairs of mankind. He is sovereign over all of the happenings on planet Earth. He is Lord. He is sovereign, but He is also Almighty. Meaning He is all-powerful. Meaning He can intervene and change a situation. Meaning that God can shift things with a blink of his eyeball. He can just do what he needs to do at any moment. He is not only sovereign, but he is all powerful. And so when you face a contradiction, sickness in the body, a lack, a loneliness, something going on with a relationship, whatever it may be, we have got to fight the good fight of faith because God is all-powerful and He is almighty and He will and can change a situation. But we also need to rest in the sovereignty of God if it doesn't change. What a lot of people do is they just check out and go, whatever will be, will be. Sovereignty of God take over. I'm just going to, you know, laissez-faire, live my life however it works. And, and other people are like, they tire themselves out trying to fight the good fight of faith. And they're sweating and they're huffing and they're puffing and they're exhausted trying to fight battles all the time. But there's a place in God you've got to get to where you just simply get up, offer up a sacrifice of praise and go, God, you are sovereign, you are Lord and I rest in that nature, but you are also almighty and I contend that you will move in this situation. Help me to find that line where I can rest in you but still fight with what it is that you have called me to fight. You know, worship actually releases the oil of joy into your soul. Some of us have lost our joy. It's not your whinging that's your strength. It's the joy of the Lord that's your strength. I just felt, you know, over this season, just at different times when I was tempted to whinge or complain, I just felt the Spirit of God say, what is that going to accomplish? Just don't go there. Run to joy. 
Joy is different from happiness. Happiness is about circumstance. Joy is about a posture of your spirit. It's about a posture of your heart. And so worship releases that oil of joy into your life. Instead of becoming bitter, you actually become better. I've learned, I've been studying spiritual warfare at the start of this year. And I thought it was because um, uh, that, uh, you know, I was going to preach a hot sermon on spiritual warfare. But it's actually because I was going into spiritual warfare. It's funny that. And, and so I'm studying spiritual warfare. And what I learned is that for the believer in the church, in the kingdom of God, the greatest doorway for the demonic, for the believer, is in the arena of bitterness, unresolved bitterness and offence. I mean, you know, it's talking to someone this week and, and listening to them. And, and, and you could tell as they were talking, as they were, they were processing life, they just haven't dealt with the issues of 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago. And the same patterns are perpetuating themselves in their life because the demonic has actually infiltrated into the doorway of bitterness. But I tell you, when you come into a place of worship and you lift up a sacrifice of praise, it shifts things in your heart and in the atmosphere. I remember years ago, back in the 90s, anyone remember the 90s? And I remember back in the 90s, Shane Warne's going through the English cricket team like a hot curry. And he's just one wicket after the next wicket, after the next wicket. And I'm like, this is amazing. We're going to clean up the palms. This is great. And then all of a sudden you can hear the chanting and the singing and the noise of the Barmy army cheering, worshipping their beloved cricket team. And I thought to myself, the church needs to take a page out of the book of the Barmy Army. I mean, I know they're roaring drunk, but at least they know how to have a party when they're getting absolutely belted. And I thought to myself, you know what? That's why the Bible says, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Not when it feels good, not when it's all going right and well. Anyone can praise God. Anyone can give when there's lots of money coming in. It takes a real believer to give when there's hardly anything. It takes a real believer to worship around that bed at that emergency unit as my mum breathed her last breath and we sang the song, Lift Up Your Eyes, All of Heaven's in Worship. And in that moment, we could feel the presence of God in that room. We could feel the angels in that room. I'm telling you, There was something supernatural happening in that moment as we rejoiced over her life and carried her to the gates of heaven and said, God, she is now yours. We did our job. We brought her through to you. And all of a sudden you realise that's where the stuff of life is. That's That's what it's all about. How do you survive a trial? Nearly done. I tried to ask the right questions. I tried. Didn't always get it right but I tried to ask the right questions. Sometimes we don't get the answers we're looking for because we're asking the wrong questions. Questions like, why me, don't get answered. Have you discovered that? There's just like a blank, you know, at the other end of that line, there's no answer. There's no conversation. It's like, why me, God? Why am I going through this? Why am I facing this? And and God just doesn't answer that here. And this is the reason why He doesn't answer some of our questions. Because if He did, it would reinforce our immaturity. A why me question is all about you and yourself and you getting dogged down and lost in yourself. Why would God want to perpetuate that? 
and reinforce that. He doesn't want you to get your eyes on yourself. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? Yourself isn't going to save you. If yourself could save you, then you are your own saviour. But yourself can't save you because that's why we've got a saviour. He doesn't want you to get your eyes on yourself, reinforce your immaturity. He wants you to get your eyes on Him the founder and perfecter of your faith. So what I did is I stopped asking stupid questions because I was going to get stupid answers. And and, and I just decided, you know what? I'm going to ask some better questions like, what can I learn from this trial? God, who do you want to be for me in this trial? And it's amazing. You actually, God comes back with intelligent answers and He will answer questions that help you grow in Christ-like maturity and bring you into a place of looking more and more like Jesus. I just believe in never wasting a good trial. If you're going to go through one, you may as well make the most of it. It's true. I just believe I'm not going around this mountain again. I'm not going around any more times than I have to. I'm going to learn what I've got to learn from this and we're going to move on. Because do you ever feel like deja vu sometimes in life? It's like, I've been here before. I've been here before in this relationship issue. I've been here before in this money issue. I've been here before in this health issue. I've been here. And it's like deja vu. It's like, I'm missing something. Either I'm a few, you know, cutlery short of the draw or, or something's going on here that God's trying to sort of like, you know, show me. And, and you've just got to make a decision. I am not going around the mountain again. I'm not wasting this trial. If it's going to hurt this bad, God, redeem it. Use it. Teach me something out of it. Bring me through it so that my life can bring glory to your name. Ask the right questions and you won't waste a good trial. And finally and lastly, never give up your faith. How do you survive a trial? You simply do not give up your faith. We give up too easily in this culture. We give up too easily on church. We give up too easily on each other. We give up too easily on our convictions. We give up too easily. Don't give up your faith. Why? Because God rewards faith. He doesn't reward even your effort that doesn't come from faith. Doesn't even reward giving that comes from faith. That's why He said, keep it. What He was saying is, Give out of a heart of faith. Bring whatever you do, your service. Do you know what? If you serve, if I preach and it's actually for me and it's about me and doesn't come from the heart of faith, on the day of judgment, that fire, my works will be tested by fire and fire will burn up what isn't of God, what hasn't been motivated by faith, what hasn't come from the right heart of faith and it will all be ash if it doesn't come from a place of faith. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he exists. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is not just looking for someone to diligently seek him. He's looking for someone who emulates, carries the spirit of faith. And out of that, I'm seeking you, God. I'm giving God. I'm witnessing. I'm doing. I'm moving. I'm I'm discipling. I'm worshipping. It hurts. It's difficult. But it comes from a heart of faith. I believe in you. Do you know every day the doctor's would walk in over those six weeks that mum was in hospital before she passed, the doctors walk in twice a day and it was one negative report after the next negative report after the next negative report. Every part of that, every meeting was negative. Casting doubt. I remember, you know, 
10 days, 10 days before my mum passed, a nurse from another ward who heard what was going on, comes into the ward, walks up to me, found out who it was, walks up to me and asks a very silly question. What is your mum's dying wish? And I looked at her like surprised and I said, to live. What's your dying wish? And so it's like, you know, it's like every day was like this negativity. And you know what I had to do? I had to get a perspective of faith. I had to surround myself with faith. We started to read my mum the Scriptures for an hour a day. We put worship music on. I got men of God and women of God into that room. And I got around. And, and, and to me, I just needed faith. I needed to, even Jesus asked all of the mourners to get out of the room before He did the miracle. He said, I know you, you, you're weeping and there's mourning and you're grieving. I know you're upset. You're professional mourners. You're paid to come and do this in the culture at that time. Okay, but I'm about to do a miracle. I need faith in the room. So Peter, James and John, you come with me. We're going to deal with this because I know I've got faith in you guys. But everyone else out of the room. Sometimes you've got to separate yourself from that undermining, intimidating attitude of, of, of an opinions of people that are undermining your faith to believe for your miracle. You've got to create space for faith. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. It's coming. If you haven't hadn't come yet, don't worry. It's coming your way. It's not a prophetic word, all right? Don't go, oh, Corey's prophesying. No, I'm not prophesying. I'm just saying. You don't look for it. You don't want it. But when it comes, I know how to handle it. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to hurt. But God, I'm not going to put a full stop where you're simply mid-sentence. I, I, I'm going to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. I'm going to try and get perspective by asking the right questions. And I'm simply going to have bulldogged faith that says, God, I'm not giving up on you. Do you know, when my mum passed, this is true. Because my mum was so for, a part of the spiritual formation of my life, discipling me, I mean, she just spoon-fed me Jesus, you know, and forced it down my throat. And so, you know, um, you know and I grew up with some, those issues and, 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 and I despised it at certain times in my teenage years, not knowing, realising it was all part of my preparation, development, what God was calling me to. And, 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 and sort of the, the call of God sort of really developed under her discipleship of me. And, and, and when my mum passed, the devil even said to me, "On you're released from your call now. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to keep preaching. You don't have to keep traveling a million miles a year and being away from your family. You don't have to leave youth alive anymore. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do anything. You can go and do whatever you want. You really, your mum's gone. And I had to, in that moment, come back to the place of conviction. Is this mum's call or is this God's call? Is this someone else's influence on me or is this really what I'm on this planet for? And three days of wrestling, three days of attack in my head. And I came to that point and I said, God, I, I lifted up that sacrifice of praise. And I said, God, I know you've called me. I know you've anointed me. I know you've put this word in my mouth. I know you're calling me to go greater and further than ever before. And God, I recommit myself to you. I recommit my life to you. Because what trials do, they question the very essence of your identity and calling. 
And tonight in this place, these guys have been so patient. You guys are so amazing. Tonight in this place, if you've questioned your identity, which I'm sure you would have at times, and your call in the midst of your trial, tonight, rededicate yourself back. Rededicate yourself back to the call of God. Rededicate yourself back to that place of faith, to that place of conviction that says, I will not walk away from this battle. I will not walk away. I will keep my eyes on Jesus. I will, God, get your perspective. I will continue the conversation. Come on, why don't we stand to our feet tonight? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.